Tandem Nomads, episode 282. Now, listen, I'm, I'm a big proponent uh, of people being multidimensional, right? And as you are multidimensional, uh, you should also have the ability to scale yourself. And for me, it was really about that. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great resources and inspiration to grow a successful, portable business that is aligned with your lifestyle and that you can run in your own terms. This is your host, Emel Deregi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. Today's episode is a little bit different than the usual ones where I teach you how to grow a successful portable business or bring you inspiration from people who have built portable businesses. However, although today's guest has been building a wonderful and inspiring business that I want to share with you, I think our guest today also is here to kind of tell us about his journey of building a venture capitals type of business, a business that invests in third culture kids startups. So we're going to talk about that. It's a very original concept and I can't wait to share it with you because when I met with Julian, I was really, really impressed with his journey and what he managed to achieve so far. One of the things that I want to talk to you about is that there's many ways to create revenue along the way besides building a portable business. And one of them is learning how to invest. So there's, and make your money work for you instead of you working for your money. You will see more and more content in that direction inside Tandem Nomads, because I believe as much as entrepreneurship is an amazing way to make an impact, sometimes knowing how to manage that money that we're making and investing it in other businesses can be a powerful way to also grow portable revenues. So to talk about th this great adventure that Julian has been on, I'm really excited to introduce you to him. Julian, are you ready for this ride? Hey, Amel. Yes, absolutely. I've been waiting for this for uh, for some time now. Really excited to speak with you. Me too. So Nomad Nation, I'm going to let you know a little bit more about Julian before he tells you his story. But before we go into details, as I said, we're going to share some insights about how you can invest in startups. However, it's important to let you know that this information shared by Julian here in this podcast, who represents 3CC Third Culture Capital, should not be considered as investment advice and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sales of any financial instrument. So this is an important legal note that we want to make for you here because it's important to mention that. Here is a little bit about Julian. Julian Pham is the founder and managing partner of Third Culture Capital, a venture capital firm that invests in uniquely qualified founders through global agency and smart capital. He has over 20 years of leadership experience in clinical settings and in emerging medical innovation companies. As an investor, Julian is often sought out for his unique experience in evaluating both biotech and digital health companies. So Julian, I love this short overview of who you are. And I think that your story is even more impressive than what this little bio talks about. So before we go into your journey and what is your company about 3CC, Third Culture Cup Capital, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about you. What is your background story that led you to where you are today? So I've been uh, listening to some of the 
prior podcasts that you've had. And uh, I'm just so inspired by the guests uh, that you bring on board. And uh, I was really excited to to be part of, of this as well. So like many of us, I'm also a third culture kid, uh, TCK. Uh, I was uh, born in Vietnam. Uh, my parents and I immigrated to Paris, France when I was three years old. I spent my formative years in Paris, uh, going to school, uh, you know, hanging out, playing soccer with kids in my neighborhood and all these types of things. And uh, when I was 14, my parents decided to uh, provide me with uh, a great educational opportunity by sending me to study English in America. And so uh, I, I moved uh, to Seattle for what was supposed to be uh, one year of high school. And, uh, you know, one year turned to two years. And then next thing you know, I'm graduating from high school. And, uh, and now I've been in the U.S. for uh, 30 plus years. I went the path of medicine, uh, which is a very long journey in most countries, and ended up in Boston at uh, Harvard Medical School, where I was faculty there for some time. Uh, about uh, 10, 12 years ago, I got interested in entrepreneurship and started my first company in the digital health space, a company that has since been acquired. And then more recently, I was recruited by an investor to help uh, spin out a biotech company out of a, a well-known cancer uh, institute uh, in Texas. And that company, we ended up taking public, uh, stayed on for a couple of years. And uh, towards the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021, I decided that uh, what I was really excited about was uh, not only the area that I'm a, a domain expert in, which is uh, healthcare, uh, health delivery, uh, digital health, biotech, et cetera, but also about this notion of diversity of perspectives and diversity of thinking that my own background as a third culture kid uh, really provided me with. And as I built the firm, uh, it became very clear to me that my story was not unique. Uh, there are so many third culture individuals out there who've had unique uh, lived uh, experiences who are highly resilient and adaptable and creative, and that makes them for incredible entrepreneurs. And so I decided to start my firm in order to back such individuals who are uh, leveraging their skill sets to build companies uh, that will improve outcomes for patients and, and impact societies uh, across the globe. So that's really my background in a nutshell and uh, what led me to where we are today. It is pretty fascinating. When I met you, Julian, I was so, so impressed with your journey and few things that like really attracted my attention. First of all, the fact, as you said and mentioned, how, first of all, your personal journey led you to what you're doing today as a third culture kid and your passion as well for science and improving the health worldwide. I think those two combined just make that unique zone of genius that you've created. There's very few companies that I know of that actually decided to really capitalize literally on the unique skill set of third culture kids. So I love that. And the fact that you bring it together with science is just amazing. I was wondering along this journey, how did you actually get to start this company? 
I think you put it so well. You know, when when we started this, um, I thought about the the mission statement mm-hmm. and the manifesto and the things that mattered to us. And for me, it was really always about the people. It's always the people first, the people and their experiences and their journeys, and also the purpose of these people and and why they're so passionate about the things that they're building. When I assembled a group of mentors and advisors and and supporters of this idea at first the elements that that really came up and resonated was the concept of capital and i think i, I love how you put it that 3cc is capitalizing on on these skill sets for these third culture entrepreneurs and for us it was this notion of leveraging three forms of capital this financial capital which you leverage as a firm right that's the business and that's how we are uh, deploying capital uh, but there's a component of human capital, which is really the the human experience. And then the last one is the cultural capital. And I think that people who have a unique cultural uh, experience, uh, whether it's cross-cultural or cross-disciplinary, really bring uh, something different to the table. And we decided to to start this firm uh, really based on this notion of supporting through these three forms of capital um, and entrepreneurs that will create impact in the world. The other thing in Nomad Nation, this is for you. One of the things that actually I would have never thought that I would invite a venture capitalist into the show, but one of the things that when Jillian hopped on a call because of our common friends and interests, besides what I share in this podcast, one of the things that Jillian told me is like, how about you investing in startups? And I was like, oh, wow. And that's when I was like, a, a light bulb started shining over my head. I was like, of course, it's interesting that we never think about that, right, Julian? And this is why I wanted you to bring, because we often talk about venture capitalists as a place where we want to educate startups how to get in. But I think we should also start talking about how to actually be part of those investors. We don't need to be one of those big companies to start thinking of putting our capital when we can into a startup. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, there's there's obviously a, a lot to say about this because this is my day-to-day job now. And I think a lot of individuals who are entrepreneurs or investors out there are uh, at some point deciding, you know what, I'm going to invest in real estate or I'm going to invest in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us third culture individuals may be moving from Europe to the US to Asia and there are different markets that you can invest in. And so the decision to invest and take the risk of investing in, in one market that is more or less volatile than the other, you know, becomes kind of a personal decision, right? And depending mm-hmm. on where you are, but to, to really speak to the theme of portable businesses and portable investments, you know, you have the ability to invest elsewhere. But then there's also a, a way to invest that is not in the public side of things, and it's to invest in private companies. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you know may seem a little bit opaque, because the way I differentiate investments that go towards mom and pop businesses or lifestyle businesses versus businesses that are designed to scale and have an exit is really at the heart of what we do as venture capitalists and and angels. Uh, There's no shame at all in building a business with your own sweat, blood and tears. And, you know, that will generate some some income for you. And, and if you can make it portable and travel even better, right? I mean, that's the whole point of your podcast. Mm-hmm. But these businesses are not a fit for venture capital. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reason for that is because venture capital is structured 
in a way in which you need to invest in companies that are going to return capital to investors within a certain period of time. Now, this is, I'm, I'm speaking in general, right? Because there are different structures of how you do things, which is very different from if you are SEO marketing person and, you know, a global nomad and can work on any beach anywhere in the world and can still have a lifestyle. That's a lifestyle business. And mm-hmm. you no, know, great, right? It's wonderful right. to do that. But in order for me to do my job right, I need to identify the next Moderna yeah. or the next Google or the next thing. and The unicorn, and, as and, they call it. Exactly, right? And find these entrepreneurs when they are at this idea stage or before product-to-market fit or before uh, no, they build what's called an MVP, right? Early prototype of, of a technology or whatnot. Mm. And depending on the sector that you're in, that looks very different, right? Because if you're building software no, that you can... Uh, you know, license or sell, you will be generating revenue uh, fairly early. But if you are uh, developing a drug, I mean, you may go five, six years without anything, right? So the business model is very different. So you have to think uh, within very different frameworks uh, when you make these types of investments uh, in healthcare. But all this to say that the path and the modus operandi or the MO of investing as a venture capitalist uh, you know, is different from investing even as an angel, uh, you know, or investing in the, in the public market. Uh, for us, we have to identify these early stage companies invest in the people who uh, we have conviction will create value for these uh, companies within a less than 10 year time frame because every few years or so we have to raise a new fund and each fund has a in general uh, 10 year lifetime mm-hmm. and we need to create multiples of return on that capital because these businesses are Uh, reaching inflection points and are generating uh, new value uh, and potentially exiting so that that capital is returned to the investors who invest in us. And so all this to say that the world of venture capital is not what you think. Uh, It's not uh, what we call evergreen capital in general. Mm -hmm. It's usually structured in a way that you have limited partners or LPs, and these LPs may be high net worth individuals. They may be family offices, they may be foundations, universities, endowments, uh, even sovereign funds and banks and and corporations that will invest different amounts depending on their own strategy. But their expectation is that they are actually diversifying their uh, investment strategy uh, within different strata. I want to kind of highlight one of the, one or two things that you said here. The first one that I think is important, although it can sound um, uncomfortable, but I think it's important to highlight that. And you did a good job at saying that there's no shame to build a business that drives revenue for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal for investors is to look for companies that are actually going to scale and exit, and I think that's one of the things about when if we're looking at investing in a company or a VC and a startup or a VC, it's, that is the main goal is to be able to exit so that we could make that revenue, right? And yeah. that profit. On yep. I'm curious to know if you could explain a little bit about the LP. Or can you tell us more about what is that exactly? Yeah. So I, as a an investor of a venture capital firm, I'm called a general partner, a GP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. in short. And then LPs identify GPs. So limited partners identify general partners who may be 
you know, at the helm of a venture capital firm or a private equity firm that does leverage buyout or a hedge fund, et cetera. And these LPs allocate capital. So these LPs may be family offices or, you know, large foundations and, and sovereign funds, and they write different size checks, right? You mm-hmm. could imagine that a high net worth individual may say, hey, I'm going to invest in, in your fund because I really love the strategy. I've always been interested in healthcare. I've, in fact, invested in several healthcare funds, but yours is a bit different. Let me write you a check of who knows, like 100,000, 500,000, a couple millions. And then you've got uh, larger LPs who do the same thing and say, you know what, we've had a strategy of investing in in venture capital, but also private equity and other hedge funds that do healthcare. And our check sizes have to be you know, 10 million or more or 20 million mm. or more Those because it doesn't, investors. yes, because it doesn't make sense for us to invest less. So unless your fund is a certain size, you know, we will do this. And then you could imagine the, the big sovereign funds, right. Who are, you know, in, in the middle East or, you know, uh, Europe or, or whatnot. They're like, yeah, well, you know, the smallest checks are going to be, you know, 250 million. So you're talking about very different scales. Right. Definitely. And, and so these LPs, essentially each have a strategy of how they want to diversify their capital and um, they will decide early in the year or the year before or you know whatever the cycle is yeah i'm going to invest uh, x percent of the capital that we have into real estate and x percent into venture capital and x percent in hedge funds Mm -hmm. and depending on how the markets are it will affect their returns. So we know, for example, that because of the economic downturn that, that we're going through right now, the public markets have been hit exactly. pretty severely. And so what that creates is a an imbalance in what they had anticipated, right? If prior to allocating your capital this year as a large LP, uh, you decide that you're going to put 10% of your capital in venture capital and 25% into kind of the public equities and your public equity strategy is getting hit. Uh, all of a sudden that you, all that money is being lost or virtually lost. And so it, it creates an imbalance on your expectations for what kind of returns you're going to be getting. Some of those are liquid returns, right? So private mm-hmm. equity is liquid, whereas uh, for us and venture capital and private equity, that capital is locked for years until yeah. the company exits. So it's a very different strategy and, and you have to think about it differently. So I kind of empathize, right? When I go and talk to LPs, uh, you know, what we do is we tell our story, uh, what we stand for, our strategy, our process, the team that we have. They have to make a decision whether this is a fit for them. In the same way that I, as a GP of a VC firm, will look at startups and, and look assess the same thing, the team, the strategy, you know, the, the market, and decide, you know what, can we back this company? Do we think this company can create value and, and have an exit? Uh, and if they have an exit, they'll be good for everyone who has invested now myself and the LPs above who are invested in my fund. So that's the kind of the dirty secret of how P venture capital works, that the money comes from somewhere. It doesn't uh, fall from trees. And and that was kind of the, the naive idea that I had when I started as an entrepreneur, right? I kind of always imagined that venture capital was the top of the food chain and somehow they had money and they would invest in startups, but it it doesn't work like that. Uh, We as venture capitalists have to answer to our LPs who are betting on us to 
return capital. And I'm sure those LPs, you know, have to answer to other groups too, uh, you know, the management company or the government and et cetera, et cetera. So that's, um, that's how the chain is. I love it. And thank you for clarifying that. I do believe that it's so important to get educated on this. I feel like unless we're already in the startup world and in the tech world as well, because often these two go together, we don't really understand how this works. So thank you for clarifying that. And I think the more we know how it works, the better we are equipped. If at some point we're ready to get into the game and consider startups as a way to invest. But I think what you're teaching us is also great for the startups who are now listening and just starting out to understand really how it works. And yes. I think the more we understand the interest and the also framework and the challenges of VC the better we can as a startup pitch and really be there to answer that question in a way that they know whether it is the right startup to invest on or not. Yeah. And there are a lot more nuances in terms of the timing of when that company comes, right? Because again, if it's a 10-year cycle where we have a four-year investment period and a six-year um, harvesting period for the companies, if an entrepreneur were to come early in the cycle with a higher risk company, it's something that we may consider because it gives us, who knows, like six, seven years before we anticipate an exit. But if the same company comes towards the end of the investment period, uh, we likely won't invest to no fault of what they're building. It's just the end of our cycle. And mm -hmm. you know the risk is too high for us to wait you know, six, seven years for an exit, because then it gets us beyond the 10 years. So now when we say no to a startup and investment, it, it's not because we don't like the founders. We are very much pro entrepreneur and founders. It's just, there's a lot that goes behind the decision making and we have to be custodians, right? We have to be stewards of capital for our LPs and make the right decision you know, at the right time and with the right amount of risk uh, in order to go that. And I think this is an important message for um, entrepreneurs out there who are scaling. It's, it's very important to build relationships with the ecosystem and not take it personally when uh, an angel or a VC says, no, uh, there are many other reasons. And it's not because you're a bad entrepreneur or anything. Uh, it's There are other nuances involved. And I think this is such a great advice. We could do a whole episode on what you would advise startups to do, I think, to be able to pitch properly to a VC. But if you had to like focus on one thing on top of what you shared here, what would you say? Oh, there are a lot, there's a lot to share. I, I think I, 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 mentioned this, this, <laughs> I mentioned this already, right? I think building relationships because you, you never know what may happen, right? This may be your first business. And it may or may not work. It may have a marginal exit or it may fail. And that's okay, right? Because you build relationships with individuals who, you know, consider themselves angel investors and they've been former entrepreneurs, you know, with kind of relative success who love to support other entrepreneurs. And they are the ones who are going to write $10,000 checks or $25,000 checks. And uh, some people write even bigger checks. And some people work and you know are part of angel groups and have buddies who can co-invest with them. And all of a sudden you bring four or five of these people together and you've got 100,000, mm. you know, 200,000. So you never know, right? So building relationships, getting to know people, uh, showing that you have the right energy, uh, you have the right uh, commitment and dedication to building something of value, like over time, people will recognize that and will back you because they want to back the individual and not so much, you know, this is 
the best thing since sliced bread, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, some people back products, sure, that's fine. That's their own strategy. And mm -hmm. some of the firms like ours, we back people. We back mm -hmm. people who have this third culture mentality of being kind of uniquely qualified and having unique lived experiences and have this ability to adapt and connect the dots. Yeah. Now, we think that these are the uh, entrepreneurs that will uh, truly transform industries and um, and uh, improve outcomes for, uh, for people across the globe. And knowing how to translate that story, that unique story we have as a yeah. founder, I think is, is also very important here to share the story. A lot of people will focus on the metrics, on the business model. I think the pitching In your case, you're one of those examples where when we pitch as a startup, it must be very important to be able to share our story as a startup and what we get there and, and why are we the right founders for this initiative and this venture. Yep. Yeah, I yes. love that. So this is a great tip for those of you who are listening and who are thinking of finding for investors, looking for investors or thinking about it. But To go back to the initial topic of this podcast, I thought it was an, an original conversation to have to consider investing. So there's many ways of investing as you started, Julian, in this interview, uh, real estate and, and other ways that we will cover in the podcast. But I was wondering, what do you want to share about investing in startups? Not necessarily, I guess you were talking about LPs, for example, but for those who are just starting on this journey, who have a bit of capital and wonder if going into this journey is worth it and is possible. Uh, is there any insights you can share about that decision making, um, whether or not we're the right fit to start thinking of investing into startups? So you're asking, um, you know, what does it take to start investing as an angel, for example, and potentially as a VC? Exactly. So angels are exactly. individual. So starting to invest as an angel is a great step uh, uh, to understanding you know, the, the mechanics and the ecosystem. But it's very different from investing as a VC. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. VCs are, you know, it, it's a much more structured world, as I mentioned, where, you know, you have to do things, you know, a certain way, there's certain degrees of compliance, etc. But as an angel investor, if you have liquid capital to invest because you like something, because you, you know the space well, and you think that this is what this entrepreneur is building now is revolutionary, then, then do that. But you also you should have the expectation that there's a, a different a relative guarantee or expectation of uh, success and exit, right? So if, like, as I mentioned earlier, as a VC, we are trying to back companies that we think can have some kind of exit within a certain period of time. As an angel, and I've been an angel prior to venturing into uh, VC, as an angel, you back sometimes even earlier companies, uh, and uh, and these companies may have fortune or misfortune, uh, and they're scaling at a different pace, And uh, uh, but you may continue to, to invest in them, or you may you know, support them until they scale to a certain point where they you know, get venture capital. So mm -hmm. for people who are interested in being angel investors, I would say that the, the most important thing is to understand the ecosystem that you're in. Of course, you may be an ex-Silicon Valley person not now living somewhere else and you're still connected to Silicon Valley and you get the deal flow from the Silicon Valley and being in a different geography should not be a hurdle. What I like to see 
is individuals uh, who are starting to build a certain personal brand and reputation around a certain domain expertise, right? And because we are a healthcare fund, um, I like to connect with individuals who've had some kind of healthcare experience in the past and now have um, you know, capital that they like to deploy. And it doesn't matter if uh, if they write one check a year or five checks a year or, or whatnot. It's, it's all a personal decision or the size of the check. But they should know something about entrepreneurship. They should know something about scaling uh, of, of businesses. In other words, can you know, is the market a certain size and can this company build a product or service or, or whatnot that can capture certain value within that large market. And that helps define whether that angel has good instincts about various companies. Um, this is early enough that you can't really rely on on you know, financial modeling or, or prediction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of this is is good instincts, and because you've made mistakes before, you hope not to make those mistakes again. Or and and you're mm-hmm. backing these people, so you know, have some domain expertise, understand your ecosystem, and be connected to that ecosystem. So it, for me, it's about getting to know the people you're in. Uh, I understand you're in in Austria, for example, right? And I know there's mm-hmm. some very strong regional. Uh, tech ecosystems or clusters in yeah. that in your region of the world in Berlin, you know, in Switzerland. Uh, I don't know as much if Vienna has a, a strong ecosystem, but you know, there's yeah, some yes, much. some great clusters, and some clusters are known for different things. So if you are a healthcare biotech person, you kind of want to be around here in Boston, Cambridge, right? Because I believe this is the epicenter of uh, you know mm-hmm. a lot of these developments. Uh, but if you are doing something else like pure tech, maybe you want to be in Silicon Valley or in Austin or Boulder, Colorado or London. I mean, so, you know, understanding your ecosystem and what it's good at, understanding how uh, certain stakeholders uh, function with that, that ecosystem and, and you know, continually networking with these individuals uh, really helps. So, you know, start your own little track record as an angel investor, make a few investments. Luckily, there are uh, some successes, but at the same time, as you continue to meet and connect with entrepreneurs, uh, act as a mediator and connect with accelerators and VC firms, because over time, if they if these groups find that you add value to the ecosystem, then um, you can be kind of part of how that ecosystem uh, lives and, and breathes. So that that would be kind of my recommendation is to, to really connect with this, uh, the, the ecosystem you're in. I love it so much, Julian. You're, you're so good at just simplifying the language in this very complex market and explaining it. Thank you for that, because I really found that you did a great job here explaining how we can get into that world. And one takeaway I take from this is to know really either what you're good at or what industry you're passionate about, or where you have real experience so that you can at least dive into that ecosystem with interest, yes. right? It's very important because otherwise you'll just be bored and doing... Some people are... I've seen some people around me who are so good that for them, numbers is all that matters and they know how to handle them. And that's their passion is knowing how to figure out those numbers. But to dive into that ecosystem, having some kind of connection, be it through our skills, our experience, our interests can, can be very important. Yep to keep up through the long haul. So I would love to ask a little bit about your personal journey, but before you've been investing in a lot of startups, is there one story you can share with us? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had one exit as one of my first investments as mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, was kind of a, 
I feel like a lucky exit. A company called Circulation, uh, I got exposed to it. Um, I, I saw the team and felt, you know, these founders really know the space and what they're doing and they were they seem complementary. And you know, the, the opportunity, and again, this is the point that, that is important here is that there's there's a component of luck also, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to make luck work for yourself because you have some kind of knowledge and expertise or unique insight into something. But the exit for circulation happened within, I don't know, less than a year and a half. Wow. And uh, so I, I, you know, tip, it's, it's uncommon, right? Because usually you park money in, as an angel into a company and it's there for like five years, eight years, 10 years sometimes. And then, you know, it's growing, but it's growing slowly, right? Uh, and then if you got venture capital in, which is a signal that this company could potentially exit. But I got very lucky with circulations because my instincts were, you know, I, I think that this is the team that can uh, exit. Another company was the one that I founded, Rubicon MD. Uh, you know, I came in as a founder. I really believed in the technology and it was, uh, you know, I, I was there, right, to build it from scratch. So I kind of had a sense of the potential value that you know, the team could add and generate. And so I also invested as an angel in that company. And it turned out to be a great idea because the company uh, recently got acquired for, you know, 130 millions, I think, last year. And wow. um, you know, I had kind of uh, founding capital and I had uh, some of my um, angel money in there. So it was it was a wonderful exit. It took it took eight years. So you would say, for example, that a VC who had believed in us, you know, from day one, it, you know, they harvested within eight years. So, you know, part of fun one, but it's, it is a long journey, right? Not everything yeah. exits and, and that money is parked in there for some time. So right. you have to have that risk tolerance. But I think the, the one that I really want to bring up uh, that truly exemplifies what we do at 3CC is it's simply fed. You know, I had met the founder, Andrea, 10 years earlier. Uh, when she was a graduate student at MIT, she had such a great entrepreneurial energy and, you know, great personality, really passionate about healthcare. When she became a mom, you know, she had firsthand experience on how difficult it is to, to breastfeed or bottle feed an infant. And it became such a nagging pain point for her and a passion that she decided, you know what, I'm going to start a company because I'm, I know I'm not the only one who has this issue. That's oftentimes how, yeah. how companies get started, right? You see a problem. It's not just your problem, but you think it's a big unmet need and you're going to have the courage to start that and so she started that and because I had known Andrea for some time I really believed in her and her potential and so we were one of the first DC firms to back her and this was in early to mid 2021 and even though the company you know has not exited yet but they have since raised a larger uh, series A or is it a seed 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 round um, that is a lot uh, you know at a much higher valuation than we, when we came in so at least on paper it shows great performance wow. for us as a fund right and so again I think this is um, kind of a, a, a good uh, a summary of, of backing people that you believe can you know, have exceptional potential and can can really build value uh, for a problem that is uh, truly uh, an important kind of unmet need in the world. Through the stories you told me, I was also thinking about your story, how insightful and inspiring it's been to have you start as your own angel investor. And today you move to developing a whole VC firm. But could you tell us a little bit about how you got to make that big jump? What got you to go from, I want to invest in startups to, okay, now it's time to make it a VC. 
Yeah, and it's exactly that. I see uh, 3CC and the firm that we're building as as really filling a gap out there. Um, uh, as I became more familiar with uh, the ecosystem and the stakeholders, I felt there was an unmet need in venture capital. Uh, and that unmet need was to build an early stage firm that was very global in nature, right? Because we back global founders or third culture individuals who have global, global, world, uh, you know, unique worldviews. Uh, but to do so at an early stage and to be able to tack, to take on that risk, because we understand the nuances of care delivery, uh, because we're physician led, uh, and you know, we've been in in the healthcare industry for for decades, and so we understand what it takes, and um, and also. F- felt very passionate about the notion uh, of third culture, right? Which is really about diversity of experiences and ideas and perspectives. And I saw how unfortunately homogeneous venture capital is uh, in the US. Um, There's a lack of diversity, a lack of of mm-hmm. women making important decisions. And the second mandate and a very important mandate of who we are as a firm is how do we diversify that ecosystem? How can we enable the future leaders in healthcare innovation who don't look like, you know, don't fit the mold necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. So we want to be viewed as outliers, backing outliers, mm-hmm. uh, and that we're backing female founders, people of color and immigrant founders who may have those uh uh, what we call those third culture principles. Uh, and so these are the the, the two reasons that uh, led me to build third culture capital. So powerful. So powerful. Thank you, Julian, for sharing with us. And before we say goodbye, is there anything you want to share about what's happening in your world right now? And where's the best place to connect with you if you want to know more about what you do? You know, I, I would really welcome anyone who wants to be part of our community, who ascribes to these principles of being third culture, whether you think you're third culture because of cross-cultural background or a cross-disciplinary background. But if you are passionate about improving and creating an, an equitable global society through healthcare innovation, uh, get, get a hold of us and visit us on www.thirdculturecapital.com. Um, and uh, you know, I'm a, I can also be found on LinkedIn. And I always enjoy speaking with um, uh, people in the healthcare space who are uh, building the companies of tomorrow. I love it. What an inspiring journey, Julian. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and and uh, opening this world to us. For those of you who are listening, I hope that you start maybe getting a bit more curious about this whole ecosystem of startups if you're not already to consider. Maybe you might not be ready right now to invest or even consider yourself an angel investor or even seek for investors in your business uh, if you're looking at scaling Um but I hope that this episode gives you a little bit of a drops a little bit of a seed in your journey, as well as a lot of inspiration. I've been truly inspired by Julian's story. So I'm really excited that I got to share it with you. Julian, thank you again. It's been really wonderful. Thanks, Amel. Nomad Nation, stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities. And you'll find all the information on Julian on tandemnomads.com slash 282.